Good morning, church. You guys can stay standing as we open in prayer. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here, that you want to speak to us. So I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and open hearts. And we say, have your way in Jesus' precious name. All of God's people said, amen. You guys can take your seats. Awesome. So yes, winter has definitely arrived, but I still believe you guys are in the best place you could possibly be. Can I get an amen? Come on, I say this all the time, but the Bible says better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. So better is sitting in the slightly cold auditorium than being at home under four duvets. Can I get an amen? Because wherever God's presence is, anything can happen, right? So we trust in God speaks to all of us and does what only He can do. I thought I'd start out by asking, actually, do you guys have my picture? Production team? Do you have my picture? Okay, I'm gonna show you guys a picture. Isn't that cute? Okay, that, that is my firstborn, Juliana Grace. And she was a couple of days old there. She looks really uh, cute and cuddly. Um, and tiny, hey, doesn't she? But don't be deceived, she was a whopping 4.6. Okay, so she was a massive baby, just like a wrestler. She literally looked like she could have eaten the other babies in the, um, in the nursery. But um, yeah, she's a strong girl. But I thought I would find out, anyone have any premies? Because I clearly didn't have any premies. Anyone have a premature baby? Anyone? How big was your baby? Okay, we've got quite a few. Okay, so who thinks they had the smallest baby? Tana, how big was your baby? 2.1, that's pretty small. 1.9, ooh, yeah. 2.5, okay, so those are all, like Juliana could have eaten a lot of those babies, and yours? Five pounds. <laughs> then he got hungry. Okay, so five pounds is very tiny. I, I can't work that out, but that is very small. So it might have been a, a bit of a tie there between you two. How, how many kilos? 1.9. Okay, so that's minute. Okay, so the crazy thing is when I was a junior doctor, we had to, I had to work in the, the NICU, the neonatal ICU. And I can remember holding a 600 gram baby in my hands, 600 grams. And this Bubba, I mean, there were lots of tiny ones like that. And uh, this one has stuck in my head because this poor child at 2 a.m. the nurse calls me and says, doctor, the baby's drip has come out. You need to redo the drip. So now I'm like, oh good Lord. You know, you can't even see the veins. Now I've got to get a drip up, it's 2 a.m. I try for about 45 minutes. The baby has no more tears to cry, okay? I'm pretty much crying. And I go to the sister and I'm like, I cannot get the drip up. This is impossible. <laughs> and the sister comes and like in 30 seconds, boom, the drip's up. So that's like initiation into the, the, the NICU. The nurses are showing the doctors who's boss because they are boss, okay? They are brilliant. Um, but it was a crazy experience to see these 600 grammars and you would watch them progress and progress and then they would, they would get discharged, healthy. They'd go home with their moms. And you know, in 2022, you can be born at 600 grams and you can become a fully uh, functioning, healthy, intelligent adult. Isn't that incredible? 
right? It's, modern medicine is amazing. The thing is, that was not the case 380 years ago, was it? 380 years ago, if you were born at 600 grams, it was overs, unfortunately, right? Okay, and if you were born at 1.9 or 1.5, you had a very slim chance of making it, right? We had no incubators, no oxygen masks. If you were prim, it was dangerous. Are you all with me? Okay, so 380 years ago, in 1642, a prim baby was born, okay? This baby came three months early, okay? And it was the year nine, it was, sorry, it was the year 1642, so this meant big trouble. Nobody knew if this child was going to live, okay? Now, this poor mom was 19 years old and she had lost her husband two and a half months before the baby came prim. So stress can cause premature labor. So we don't know if it was the stress that brought on the baby so early, but she's just lost her husband tragically. Then she gives birth two and a half to three months later to a very prim baby. And nobody knew if this child was gonna make it. Okay, it was a hectic, hectic season for this 19-year-old girl. And the baby, against all odds, survived. Okay, um, but according to history, this child was very sickly. Okay, it was a tiny, tiny child and it was very sickly. It spent its first three years very, very, very sick. And um, at the age of three, this kid's had a rough start to life. Um, his mother was now 23 and she was obviously a widow. She got proposed to by a 70-year-old priest, okay? And he was quite a respected figure in the community, the, the priest, and he said, listen, I will take you as my wife, but I will take you on condition that the child stays. I don't want the child, okay? That child is sickly, that child is a hassle, it's me or the child. Now, I don't know what was going on in the mom's mind. I'm, I'm not here to judge, but she decided to marry the 70-year-old priest and she ended up giving this three-year-old to her parents to look after, okay? And I want, just, I want us to stop for a moment and think about this little boy, okay? What a start to life. You get born so premature that no one thinks you're gonna survive, okay? You don't have a dad, no father figure. Your dad passes away just before you're born, right? So you have a grieving mother who's probably suffering from um, postnatal depression, PTSD. She's young, probably battled to bond with his mom. Then, at the age of three, he experiences the most severe rejection where his mother chooses another man over him and he gets left with his granny. Okay, would you all agree that's a pretty hectic situation? Okay. So, this is this little boy. This is, this, this is the heartbreaking story. He was a small boy, but he had some, some pretty big problems. And the crazy thing is that later on in life, he wrote a memoir. That's how you say it, hey? It always sounds weird to say it. Anyway, he wrote a memoir and he says he clearly remembers at the age of three feeling intense, intense hatred towards the priest that married his mom. Intense hatred to the God that that priest served and intense hatred to his mother 
for rejecting him. Okay, at such a small age, he was aware of the rejection that he was going through. So life carries on, he's with his grandparents and then school starts. Are we, do we have any teachers in the house? Now, does this kid sound like a bed of roses? Sounds like a bit of trouble, hey? Like this kid came with some issues, right? <laughs> Big issues. And he went to school and he wreaked havoc. Okay, he obviously felt rejected. The kids teased him. He was small. He was sick. They said he was stupid. They said he was a troublemaker. They actually eventually said to him, would you please leave school? You are not for school, okay? Go and be a farmer like your late father. His father was a farmer. They said, you belong in the fields with the sheep and whatever. School is not for you. You can't do this, okay? So he actually left school and then ended up coming back. But school was tough. He was seen as a big problem. He was seen as incapable um, and not good enough. And it wasn't going very well until something changed, okay? Very luckily for this young boy, the school got a new teacher. And his name was John Houston. And the thing about John Houston was he was a devout Christian, okay? He had a real relationship with Jesus and it showed. And he kind of saw this little boy, but I think he didn't just see him with physical eyes. I think he saw him with God's eyes and he had a massive soft spot for this little boy. And he started hanging out with him and he started um, giving him books to read and saying, why don't you read this book? This is an amazing book. And slowly but surely this kid started to warm up to him and he decided to, he started to develop a, a love for reading. And then John Houston said, you know what? Let's do some science together. Let's do some maths together. Flip, you know, you're actually really good at this. And little by little, he started to bring out the potential in this child. Um, you know, he gave him extra lessons. Um, and, you know, really what he did was he spoke life. He cared. And guess what happened to this kid? He actually started to excel. Anyone ever had a pot plant that's died? Okay, I've had many. <laughs> And then sometimes you can revive them, like the orchids, you know. You start to add water, just the right amount. I used to always drown my orchids. And then they said, once a week, Leanne, once a week, yeah. It's almost like the pot plant began to revive itself. And this kid began to flourish. And all of a sudden they were going, flip, this kid's a freaking genius. Like his mathematics is insane. His science is, is, is incredible. And suddenly the school realized what they thought was a massive problem was actually a massive privilege because this kid was a genius. And John Houston stayed close to him and actually ended up getting him into Trinity University, which is a branch of Cambridge, okay? And he actually paid a large portion of his fees to get him in. And so... You know, this kid that the whole town had been talking about negatively, the troublemaker, the problem, suddenly they were all talking about him, but in a different way. Suddenly they were talking about what a genius he was. And then soon the whole university was talking about him. And then the whole academic world was talking about him. And then the entire world was talking about him because the person that we're actually discussing this morning is Sir Isaac Newton. You guys know who he is, right? One of the greatest scientists and mathematicians in human history 
ever. Okay, so this guy is brilliant, but what a start to life. What a start to life, to get kicked out of school, to be told you can't do this, to be abandoned. Crazy thing is, if you wanna go find his grave, do you guys know where his grave is? He's buried in Westminster Abbey amongst nobility and royalty. And the crazy thing is there's a lot of stuff written on his tombstone, but right at the top, it says this. Here lies a man with an intellect close to the divine. That's quite a crazy thing to have written about you, okay? But this is the same kid that was told he wasn't good enough for school, he needs to drop out, he should be a farmer, he's a problem. And on his tombstone, here lies a man with an intellect close to the divine. Would you guys agree that's a remarkable difference? Okay, that's one man with two very different verdicts. Useless, waste of time, not cut out for school, intellect close to the divine. How did they get such different impressions? What made all the difference? I wanna tell you guys this morning, I believe with everything inside of me that what changed everything for for Sir Isaac Newton, as he was obviously knighted, was one man who accepted his calling by God to be a spiritual parent to someone in the next generation. Amen? One man made all the difference. And I wanna encourage you guys this morning, we're starting a, a, um, a series on serving, and I thought what better way to kick it off than serving the next generation. We just heard about the Arise Camp coming up. If you are a parent, you need to get your kids there. Those camps changed my life. My kids are gonna be there and I'm gonna be serving there. I'm gonna be cooking food. God help those kids. I will wash dishes maybe. Or I'll be on the sanitizer station because I, I do love a good hand spray. So I'll, I'll just make sure everything's hygienic so that you don't not send your kids because of the food. I'm getting off track. Okay, point is, you wanna serve the next generation. We are called to serve the next generation. We need an army, a spiritual army of John Houston's, don't we, church? And I thank God for genuine Christians like John Houston. You know, Isaac said that he hated his mother when he was a young boy. They later reconciled. And he hated that priest. And he hated the God that the priest served, which is crazy. But after entering into a relationship with someone who really loved Jesus and showed him the love of Jesus, he died a, a, a professed, devout Christian, Sir Isaac Newton. And he actually wrote so much theology studies that were only published much later in his life. But he studied that Bible inside out. Why? Because one man took the time to show him the love of of God. Church, we can never forget this. We're always called to pave the way for the next generation. Not just in this church, not just in the schools, 
in your place of work, in the shopping centers, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever your occupation, we are called to pave the way for the next generation. Now you might be sitting here going, Leanne, why? I don't like the next generation. I like my generation. Why? Why do I have to care? I'm gonna tell you guys why. Because our God is a generational God. Can we all agree on something, okay? Did God write the Bible? Okay, He didn't physically write it, but it it is God-breathed. Can I get an amen? God wrote the Bible. It's God-breathed. Okay, He used the human hand, but it's from the, the heart of God. And God doesn't waste words, okay? He doesn't have verbal diarrhea like me. He says what he needs to say. Are you with me? So if he repeats himself, it's for a good reason. Would you agree? Can you guys put up that scripture for me, please? There's a scripture coming up. Not that one, sorry. Next one. Okay, Matthew 22, verse 32. It says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I wanna tell you guys that this sentence is written in the Bible 12 times. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you think God's trying to send a message to us? He clearly is. He's saying, I am a generational God. I'm not just here for your generation. I'm not just here for the older generation. I'm here for all the generations. Amen. Come on. He says it 12 times. He wants us to catch it. He's not just wasting paper. He's saying, my kingdom is a kingdom of generations. It must go from glory to glory. The baton must be passed along. We can't afford to drop it. And if this is gonna happen, we all need to wake up in our church, in our posts, where we are every day and take responsibility. Now, some of us go, hey, I love serving my generation. I'm always reaching out to my peers. You know, I love my peers. At work, I talk to them about God. I invite them to view group. I'm looking out for my peers because, you know, we get each other. It's not just about your peers. Or maybe you go, Leanne, I've got this generational thing down. I spend a lot of time with my boss. I buy him gifts. I make him coffee. Hopefully I'll get his place one day. He can help me. I can learn from him. And that's, that's not okay. Our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We always have to be reaching down. We are called to serve the next generation. Now, you might be saying, Leanne, I agree with you. That's a good word. I love Kayla. I love Sabelo. They're doing a great job. It's like clapping them on. I need to tell you this morning that it's not just up to them because they can't be everywhere at once. They can't be at my house when my kids are there with their friends. They can't be at your work. They can't be in the shopping center. They can't be everywhere at home. It's not their responsibility. It's our responsibility. What are you doing every day? Come on, we go so many places every day. You've got opportunities everywhere you go. The ball's in our court. 
Look at Moses and Joshua. I can give you example after example. I mean, uh, Moses, he, he, he's in the presence of God. He decides to take Joshua with him. Why? Because he knows he has to hand on the baton. He has to show Joshua how to get into the presence of God. I'm sure he would have way rather been there alone. But he, he knew it couldn't end with him. So he took Joshua with him. You look at Eli and Samuel. You know, Samuel was like the original church kid. Like he slept in the temple. You know the story of Samuel, his mom actually gave him over as a as a offering to God, and he lived in the church, right? I thought my kids were real church kids because they only fall asleep to church music, um, but he was the real deal. Like he lived in the temple. Okay, his mom was Hannah. You guys with me? And you know. Samuel was raised up by Eli because when God was speaking to him, you didn't know what was happening. And Eli said, that's God, Samuel. Next time say, yes, God, I'm listening. And what did Samuel become? Samuel became a great prophet. He anointed King David. He didn't just anoint King David. He pulled him in line. He was used by God mightily, but he had a mentor. He had someone helping him. He wouldn't have got there on his own. Are you with me? You can look at um, Mary and, and, and Elizabeth. I, always, I love that example because we need a girl example. I mean, you know, Mary, she's 13. She, they, they said she was around 13. She gets told she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's crazy. But then the angel of the Lord says, don't worry. Elizabeth, your cousin, is also with child. She's six months along. Go and talk to her. And so Mary goes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth says, Wow, you are favored, you are blessed. Surely you carry the Son of God inside of you. Everything's gonna be okay, Mary. God's got this, you favored, God's in control, it's gonna be all right. She spoke life, she mentored her, she made all the difference. Imagine Mary had gone to some random friend who said, oh, your life is over, Joseph's gonna leave you, you're gonna, uh, uh, you know, we've all got people like that in our lives. But thank God Mary had Elizabeth. You look at Elijah and Elisha. Now, if you remember anything I say from the sermon, please remember this point. Scholars that have studied the Bible intensely say that the most significant thing that Elijah ever did was throw his coat over Elisha, okay? Now, remember, Elijah was the guy who took the fire and the sacrifice and threw buckets and buckets of water over it and then asked God to send down fire from heaven. You guys remember that story? And it happened. And then he slayed all the prophets of Baal. Would you guys say he was a pretty impressive person? I'd say so. And yet the scholars say the most significant thing he ever did was throw his cloak over Elisha. Why? because it can never end with just you. It had to go on. The blessing had to get better. He had to serve the next generation. And he takes Elisha and he mentors him. And before he dies, Elisha says, all I want is a double portion of your anointing. And God's faithful. In the Bible, the eight miracles recorded for Elijah and 16 miracles recorded for Elisha. That's why the most significant thing he could do was throw his coat over Elisha. Church, I need you to think about this. Maybe, just maybe, one of the greatest contributions you will ever make in your life is not something you do, but someone you raise up. It doesn't have to be a physical or biological child. It can be anyone. Look at John Houston. 
And you don't have to be a teacher. Wherever you are, you're surrounded by people older than you, your age, younger than you. Amen. We need an army of John Houstons to serve the next generation. How do we do it practically? We're gonna get the worship team up. Well, firstly, it starts in our hearts. We have to acknowledge and settle in our hearts that we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If we don't have that settled, we're, we're never gonna get this thing right. We have to have it settled. Ah, but I don't like the youngsters. I don't, you know, their music's too loud. Their dress is inappropriate. I don't understand their TikToks and their grams and their uh, uh, uh. Listen, I'm even there. I sound like an old granny sometimes. I'm like, good Lord, like I'm getting old, you know? And, and it's terrible. I tell my daughters that it's inappropriate dress. Like I'm trying, like I feel like I'm a granny, you know? But I don't have to like what they do, but I have to understand that my God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I need to love every generation and I have to serve every generation. Are you with me, church? You don't have to love what they do, but you have to love them. Can I get an amen? We've got to settle it in our hearts. We will love them. The devil hates that. He would love nothing more than to see a church full of old people or a church full of middle-aged people or a church full of young people. But when we get together and we are multi-generational and there is unity, it freaks him out. Because when there's unity, God commands a blessing and we can learn so much from each other. Second thing we need to do is we need to pray. Now I'm a parent, so I pray for my kids. If you are a parent, please pray for your kids. I pray, God, thank you that Juliana and Zara are always gonna love you. Thank you that they are gonna love you more than anything. Thank you that they're gonna marry mighty men of God. Thank you that they are going to be, that they are the head and not the tail. Thank you that they're gonna get the best teachers. Thank you that you're gonna protect them. I pray all of this over them. Since they were in my belly, in fact, since before they were even conceived, I've been praying for them, okay? And if you're a parent and you're not praying, you've gotta pray. I pray for wisdom. I say, God, help me to be a better parent. Help me to stop losing my cool. Help me to be a godly example to them. I'm praying all the time. But you might say, Leanne, I don't have kids. You're not off the hook. And I can't just pray for Zara and Juliana because there's a whole generation that need Jesus. I've started praying for their friends, for their netball team. They need Jesus. If you don't have children, you can meet a couple of people in the, in, the, in the generation below you. So Bela will give you some names. You can write them down and you can pray for them. The Bible says the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Your prayers are powerful and effective. Guys, we have to be praying for the next generation. They are facing, it's so much harder for them than it was for us. I mean, I didn't have, I only got like Facebook once I got my degree. I don't know if I would have got a degree without, if I had Facebook, what a distraction. Like the stuff they get thrown at them now, like it's tough. They have access to everything. They need our prayers more than anything. Are you with me church? We have to be committed to praying for the next generation. If you do anything, pray for your kids, for their friends. If you don't have kids, you just find some names. You go and find some kids in your community and you pray.
secondly, sorry, thirdly, we've got to be willing to share our gifts. If you're a businessman or a businesswoman, when last did you invite someone that was younger than you out for a lunch? Not to get anything, not to score brownie points, but just to be a blessing and to go, hey, have you thought about this? Have you, have you tried that? This would fast track you. Because I can tell you, when I was a junior doctor in private practice, we had a, a head doctor and he was like my dad's age. And he would sometimes pop into my office and say, Leanne, can I show you this? And he would talk to me about investing my money wisely. And he'd give me advice. And I didn't think, oh, why is this old man bugging me? I was actually so um, touched that he would actually think about me and want to help me and actually want to serve my generation. That's what he was doing. He was imparting wisdom. When last did you do that? It doesn't even have to be a whole lunch. It can be 15 minutes. But share your gifts. You know, I think we've made it really easy in this church to serve the next generation. I spoke about camp. If you're a cook, you can come cook. If you can't cook like me, you can wash dishes. But you can serve the next generation. You can start an interest group. I'm actually, this is not a joke, okay? But I'm waiting for someone to please start a baking interest group so I can join. Anyone, can anyone bake? Come on, I'm gonna hold you to it. I will join. And you know what the crazy thing is? I bet you, you'll teach me so much more than how to bake. You make an interest group, we learn how to bake cool things and, and we teach each other. You teach me lessons so I don't knock my head. You impart wisdom. Come on, that's how we grow. That's how we sow. That's how we love each other. It's so easy in this church. You just say, hey, get hold of um, uh, one of our service pastors and say, I want to start an interest group. Advertise it, boom. And you're connected. And you're sowing, but you're having fun at the same time. But share your gifts. Share your knowledge. Share your wisdom. Maybe you're a drummer and you're watching, we've got young drummers, definitely not Jono. I think uh, Jono could teach most drummers a thing or, or 10. Um, but maybe we've got a young drummer up there and you're going, you know what, I can pay the drums. I can give them 30 minutes every two weeks. Do it. So into the next generation, help them, fast track them. We need to be their springboards. We need to be throwing our jackets over them like Elijah did to Elisha. Come on guys, can I get an amen? Are you with me this morning? We are called. In Luke chapter 13, verse 18 to 19, it says this. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds perched, perched in its branches. Okay, so that's about the kingdom of God. What do we know about the kingdom of God? We first said the kingdom of God is generational, right? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Okay, so the kingdom of God is generational. Now the Bible's also telling us that it's like a mustard seed. So what does that mean? A mustard seed on its own is really not good for much. Are you with me? It's tiny. What are you gonna do with a mustard seed? But you plant it in the ground and a massive tree will grow that will give shade, that will provide nutrients, that will allow birds to nest in. 
Are you with me? If the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, what is God saying? We need the workers, He needs us to plant the seeds. We are called to plant the seeds. God brings the seeds. We just need to be willing to plant them. We need to be available. We need to be excited. We need to be convicted to sow into the next generation and plant the seeds. Amen? Come on, church. The future of our country is in the next generation. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to worship God. And I'm going to ask Him to do something supernatural in our hearts. You can lift your hands. This is nothing weird or super spiritual. It's just saying, God, I surrender. Jesus, we love you. We are your servants. God, we are here to do your business. We want to populate heaven and empty out hell. Won't you convict us today, God, that we are called to serve the next generation, God. Won't you open our eyes, show us the opportunities, God, where we can pray, where we can serve, where we can be a blessing in Jesus' Name, God. We wanna be an army on fire for you. We're gonna lift you up now. We're gonna worship you because you are a good God and you are a faithful God. Just while we stay in this attitude of worship, you know, when I read that story about Sir Isaac Newton, what struck me was how much God loved him. You know, he had such a rough start to life, but God sent John Houston because God wanted him to know that he is valuable, that he is gifted, that he was loved, that he was called to something greater than himself. And if you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the most exciting thing for me is that Sir Isaac Newton, like I said, he died a Christian. He experienced the love of Jesus. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus personally, I wanna tell you that you are loved, you are valuable, you are called to make a difference. And there's a God who wants to get to know you, who loves you so much. And I wanna give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you did a long time ago, but you know you need to recommit. With every head bowed out of respect, I'm gonna count to three and ask you to stick your hand up if you wanna give your life to Jesus or recommit. One, God so loved the world. Two, that He gave His one and only Son. Three, you can pop up your hand if you wanna give your life to Jesus so I can see it. Just pop it up and then take it down. Saying, I see that hand, that's awesome, come on. Best decision you will ever make. We see that hand over there, that's amazing. Come on, anybody else, you're saying, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna get to know Him personally. I see that hand at the back, that's awesome. You see that hand, that's amazing. Come on church, the whole of heaven is having a party when one person gives their life to Jesus. You are called, you are loved. Is there anyone else? You're saying, I wanna get to know Jesus personally. I wanna live for something bigger than just myself. I don't wanna let this moment pass by. Anyone else, just stick your hand up quickly so I can see it. Okay, we're gonna pray together as a church family. Is that good? Dear Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross. Today, I ask you to be Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me, that you've called me 
and that you've got a plan for my life. Thank you that from now on, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name. Let's give God some praise. Like I said, the whole of heaven is throwing a party right now. And I wanna remind you guys, if you made that decision, Andre always says, no one hits a home run and then stops at first base, right? You run all the bases. So you made that decision, you hit a home run, Go to all the bases. Come on, take out your, your card. We've got your, the cards are in the, in the front of your seat and fill out the card. Um, if you've got a prayer request, fill out the card. Don't wake up on Monday saying, what's gonna happen? Wake up saying, my church is praying for me. Come on. Um, if you wanna get involved in growth track or a view group, tick it out. Uh, sorry, tick the box, fill it out. Um, or you can connect with one of our service pastors Guys, um, also just a reminder, we are having baptisms after the service. So these people are gonna have mansions in heaven for being baptized in the cold. Let's support them. Um, have an amazing week.